0: This is the Unscripted Podcast.
1: You had one job, Mike. You just hit the button. <laughs> they never trust me with the button, Chris. <laughs> so, Bob, you're looking a little peaky today, Bob. Are you all right down there? Um, <laughs> I don't no. know. I, I shaved this morning. Is that... <laughs> no, Catch can't a tell? Yeah, right. I know it. You know, Bob is on the extra-slim, fast diet. It's like... Meth, right? <laughs> <laughs> the, hey, it's listen, we're glad you guys are with us today. We've got two of our members here at Kensington Woods here in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And these two are two of our uh, brothers, but they also have a... Uh, these two share something uniquely together that I don't share with them. And it's not that they're these hunk of hunk of burning loves or anything like that, but it's that these two guys are, are members of... The United States military, and so last week, if you joined us, we talked about the Christian and self-defense, and how the Bible kind of describes and how it how it utilize how it how it goes through and kind of uh, paints this picture of the way that a person should be with regards to the self-defense of their family, self-defense of their neighbors, their friends, you know, this and that. When, when is self-defense? Uh, when can you play that card, as it were? So, if you didn't get the chance to listen to that, uh, we'd you know like for you to go back and listen to last week's episode. And and if you have any questions about it, certainly just shoot us an email. If you hated it, you know it was Bob's fault, and because <laughs> he's not here. Because <laughs> he's not here. <laughs> but if you if you if you if you don't think we covered something well, or we didn't cover something in a way that you think we should have, we'd like to hear what you have to say about it. So, with that being said, this week. On our podcast, we're going to talk about, uh, we want to hear these guys' perspective as regards to Aaron became a Christian and then signed up to be a member of the service, right? What branch of the service are you in?
2: I'm uh, with the Army. I'm right now with the Mississippi Army National Guard.
1: Okay. And Mike joined the Army at what age?
2: Uh, I joined at the age of 20.
1: 20. And then what? How many years later?
3: Um. 12, 13 years later? Yeah, it's been 13 years.
1: So 12 years later or so, Mike becomes a Christian, right? So Mike joins the Army, then becomes a Christian. Aaron becomes a Christian, then joins the Army. And so we kind of want to get these guys' perspective on it. So Aaron, since you're on the end down there, tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Okay, so there's a lot to unfold. I used to be, so I'll start around the time I became a uh, Christian. Okay, so how I, did
1: how did you come to to obey the gospel?
2: So Who taught you the gospel? I was taught the gospel by a uh, brother in Christ up in Illinois named Andrew, who's a youth minister. Mm-hmm. And he was at the time. I was uh, I was not a Christian. Mm-hmm. Met my wife at the time, and I started just going to church with her. I became friends with this youth minister Andrew, and he asked me if I wanted to study with him some more. And I did, and very quickly came to, uh, after he told me the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, came to the idea, like, I wanted to get baptized that week. Right. So I was baptized in August of 2018.
1: All right, August of 2018. And when did you sign up for the service then?
2: I signed up for the service in the fall of 2019. So a
1: year and some change later. Yes, yeah. Right. So,
2: at the time when I was baptized, I was just starting, I was actually just starting pharmacy school uh-huh. in Illinois, and I wasn't too certain that that's where I wanted to go. That's, that's You mean as I far as
1: being a pharmacist? Uh,
2: yes, as far as being a pharmacist, I didn't, I wasn't 100% set on
1: that. So, what's your end goal now?
2: My end goal now is I'm going to be a nurse. I'm in nursing school currently while I'm in the military, and once I'm, done with my school um i'm going to commission into the army as a nurse so you're staying for for the time being yeah
1: right so okay all right mike give us your spiel where, where are you from aaron by the way
2: i'm from a very tiny town in illinois called fillmore okay nobody's ever heard of it i promise but right. if you've if you've seen a cornfield you've been there <laughs> It's
1: okay all right so mike tell us tell us uh, about you
3: so, I'm a, I'm actually from all over uh, Texas. I've got family in South Texas, and then I, I enlisted that in the like... Army out of uh, Dallas-Fort Worth. Okay. And um, so, that was back in 2008. Um, and, I mean, I I enlisted because, uh, you know, I watched the Twin Towers fall on TV. Um, I was a little bit younger. I'd, uh, it was like in eighth grade when I watched that happen. So, I, was, I wasn't able to just rush out, you know, hit the recruiting station and do the whole nine yards. But, I mean... The surge was still going very strong um, and was beginning to taper off a little bit when I when I joined. So I've been in a variety of, of different units. I started off in uh, light air assault units in like uh, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, and then I I PCS from there and went to PCS means move, y'all. Yeah, so you I, go, you mo- got You can't know, use the, the, I the so I, I moved from there to uh, Vicenza in Italy, and and after that first deployment, I would I had gotten married. Um to the most beautiful woman in the world. Um I know you're out there, baby. Um so
1: good job. (laughs) Thank you.
3: Um so I I got to Italy and uh and I deployed again in Italy. We were hitting the, you know, operational tempo pretty hard. Um some very interesting things happened on that deployment that caused us to kinda shift and change gears and then and then I left
1: Us shift and change gears. Yes,
3: the army, us. Um, so I left, I left there and then in order to seek a more stable home life because I was actually a, a geographical bachelor, my wife and kids did not come with me to Italy. So um, that means
1: geographical bachelor is an army term. Uh, that means that you're separated from your you're right. That's right. The clan's cut.
3: Uh, right? She was still living in, uh, and, and working in Kentucky and I was living in Italy and, and doing my job. And then I'm, I moved from there uh, to Texas, and that was what I could do to to take care of my my family while still being able to do my job. So um, we've bounced around since then. We moved from Texas to Hawaii, and you uh, know I, I we I got a chance to work in you know Sunny Schofield Barracks in Hawaii, and then we more recently uh, moved here in 2018. And I got to say, uh, Central Mississippi has been a blessing.
1: Well. Where were you? Where were you deployed to? Weren't you in Afghanistan?
3: I have been to Afghanistan uh, three times. I've mm-hmm. never been to Iraq. Strangely enough, I just wasn't in a unit that had that uh, deployment designated to them. So I went to Afghanistan in 2010, and in 2012, and in 2014.
1: So you've seen a lot of action there. I've, yep. So, so Central Mississippi. You say it's been a ble- in what way? What's it been a blessing?
3: It's it's just it's been a blessing um, because. A lot of Mississippians share similar values to what do you mean by my family. Well, um, Judeo-Christian societies that the culture absolutely here. the culture here falls in line with uh, family, mm-hmm. um, God, church, mm-hmm. um, and these are things that we did not experience enough of as we were, you know, kind of moving around. We saw some of it in Texas um but it is a very densely populated area with a lot of different people flying a lot of different flags um they're they're definitely a, texas is a melting pot a lot of people come to texas right. and then um
1: yeah i saw the other day that i can't remember i think it's texas and florida i can't remember the number that they were growing a day and it was just like
3: it's a it's a new resident every six seconds
1: yeah just think about that dude you know, I mean, just just think about that, and like, and and they're flooding from places like California yeah. and and stuff like that. I mean, like, I can't remember how many people are bleeding. I wonder what they're leaving. <laughs> what are
3: they? What are they leaving? I don't
1: from? know. I heard. Uh, <laughs> I saw the other day that somebody said worst word somebody says is, hey, I just moved here from California.
3: (laughs) I I don't know. I was going to ask you the question because I'm not about to get set up like that. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, everything's on the table here. So yeah, so that's and that's how my uh, family, my family came to be in Mississippi. So the jobs I've held, uh, I'm I'm an infantry soldier. Um, I have been in light infantry units. I've been in airborne infantry units. Those are the guys that jump out of airplanes. Um, I was a uh, I was sent to sniper school in 2014. I graduated, and then I became a sniper section leader when I was in Texas. Um, and, I, and then we moved to Hawaii, and then I ran a sniper section for three years
1: in Hawaii. So you shot Hawaiians? No. No. Oh. That's, oh. that's no. oh, I just didn't. Uh, no. So, uh, and then
3: moving here, they uh, here in Mississippi, we work with the National Guard units, uh, and, you know, I'm a coach. I, I work with National Guard units and try to coach them and, and work with them on their training.
1: So, so – now, and you became a Christian here. Yes. And and so Aaron, you know, he said that um, it was a youth minister because you were going to church with your girlfriend, right, at the time. At the time, yeah. Right. And so ladies, if you find one that you think that may be the one, there's a real good litmus test. Now, don't hang over their head. Unless you get in the water, you're not getting the ring. Don't do that. But there's a real good litmus test whether you can see – because I have a great story about a lady, awesome story. I studied with her boyfriend before they were actually dating. He becomes a Christian. I mean, he, he is on the way to become a Christian. The night before, we were discussing, like, he was just freaking out because he's kind of made this connection that mom and daddy, you know, there's, just all, there's a lot of people in, in peril, right? And he's on the way to become a Christian, and his mama dies. And he'd been dating this other girl then because he started coming to church with me. He meets her. And, I mean, like, it's just like we just figured they're going to get married. Well, dude, I mean, it just imploded after that. And so he saw, you know, really her, not me at this point, even though I was the messenger. But because he had the most emotional tie to her at that point then, right? I mean, it just, I mean, it went south bad. And... But there's a silver lining. Uh, it wasn't long, a year or so later, and, and she comes to me and she's like, listen, I cannot get emotionally invested this time without knowing whether this guy that's sweet on me is is all in or not. So I studied with him, baptized him. They got married. They He adopted her son. Um, there's a few good men that will do that. And he adopted her son, and now they've got a little girl together. It's a, You know, it worked out, right? But she held... On to the fact that I'm not going to have I'm not going to have my home in turmoil just because my heart got ahead of my my Christianity my spiritual life and so they're better off for it today and so the uh, and Mike you became a Christian here so Joe to t- give us the little spiel
3: so um, so there's there's three people that I would credit with bringing me to Christianity the first one is my wife all right and that is because um, she supported me. For a very long time, even through some of my, uh, she's seen me at my very worst. You know, wife, wives have that great privilege of seeing you when you, when you need the most work, and they're right. they're very good at also pointing that out. Yeah, want to give you some notes, mm-hmm. um, but privileged. Yeah. <laughs> so I had I had her support, and she knew that I needed to find my way to Christ. Um, and then I had met Joe while I was actually working in Hawaii, and he's a, he's another brother in the church here. Um, I met Joe while I was working in Hawaii, and it just so happened that his daddy had fallen ill. And so when I moved here, he had gotten assigned uh, camp, here at Camp Shelby in an effort to also be there for his family. Um, and it wasn't long before an opportunity arose, right, an opportunity like – Hey, a friend of mine really needs a, a a set of uniforms that like is the size of a middle schooler, and he's like, "Do you know, how many middle school sized soldiers do you know?" And Joe was like, "Well, I know one, so let me see what he can do." And that's how you and I met. Right. Um, so it wasn't long before you know you, me, my wife, and Joe and Jessica are all sitting down and and studying, and uh, and then we get to talking about Philip and the eunuch. And let me tell you something. I felt like I was in a very hot seat <laughs> when we read that. Um, in fact, we we read through that and it was my understanding that if lightning struck me right then and there I knew exactly where I was going. Yeah. With certainty. And so uh by the by God's grace, you had a body of water behind your home.
1: That's the same thing the eunuch said, right? And Here's I, water.
3: I said, uh, we gotta go. And yeah. You were like, are you sure you don't want to think about this? Like, I don't want you to, I don't want you to feel like, you, you know, anybody's pulling your, you know, twisting your arm or pulling your leg, and I'm not trying to drag you anything. I want you to make sure you completely understand. And I was like, no, I understand completely. It is Windex. We right. got to go. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So now it's, we call our pond behind our house, what do we call it? Uh, Ranger, Ranger Pond. Ranger Pond. Because we put three Rangers in it, right? That's, that's <laughs> And so, right. yeah. so the, uh, So the so now we have Mike who becomes a Christian after war, right? And the um, uh, you know you got a family, you got your sweet wife, your three pretty little girls. You know, Aaron's got a wife, Rebecca. She's going to school to be what?
2: School psychologist. She's uh, in her third year of PhD.
1: Yeah, that's right. She's a doc. She's going to be a doctor, right? And. Mike's wife, she's a dental hygienist, yep, and
2: registered dental hygienist
3: here in the state, great state of Mississippi. And here fairly soon, she's um, she's going to be in the program, hopefully with William Carey, which is the doctor of osteopathic medicine.
1: That's right. Yeah. And she's a service member too.
3: She is. She works uh, up at uh, Key Field. She's in the Mississippi Air National Guard and she actually works with the religious services.
1: Yeah. So w- what an awesome thing. So let's, let, you know, just from a biblical perspective, I just want to see something here. In, in Genesis, I think it's 13 or 14. I want you to see a story here. And so there's something kind of unique that goes on in in this, I don't know. There's a lot of Easter eggs, I reckon. Maybe I should say it that way, with with some of the things that are happening. So there's a point where Abraham and and Lot, his nephew, are going to be that they've grown so large that they need to kind of separate themselves. Right? They're just becoming they've gotten so big that now They've moved into kind of conglomerate stage, right? So, all of Lot's herdsmen, all his cattle, everything like that. I mean, they're just employees, right? And all of Abraham's herdsmen, all his, em- they're just employees. So, so if if I want my cattle scenario to work out easy, and right, I don't care about yours, right? Like I want mine to go good, and and you know what you want? You want yours to go good. So there ends up this strife. But but there's an Easter egg here, and the Easter egg is this. Now, this event happens after what I'm going to talk about here, but this happens, God blesses Abraham so much because of his faithfulness that he is immensely wealthy to the point that he's got all this stuff, but it happens after this event. It happens after this event in Genesis 14. So what I want to do is use this to show that God was still pleased with Abraham after this event. So in Genesis 14, in Genesis 14, in verse 1, and it said it came to pass in the day, say that name right there. (laughs) Amraphel. Okay. (laughs) Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Elisar. Say that word right there. (laughs) Chedorlaomer. I spent some time in Afghanistan. You knew that, right? Well, that doesn't mean anything. That's why he's having you read it, not me. <laughs> That's right. King of Elam, entitled King of Nations. They made war with Bera, King of Sodom, Bersha, King of Gomorrah, Shinab, King of Adma, Shemeber, Shemeber, King of Zeboeum. that two? Uh, yeah. And the King of Bala, that is Zor. All these joined together in a valley of Siddim, that is the Salt Sea. So these, here's these old boys. So you got to understand that kind of historically, a king was, you know, we think about a king like this dude is over nations, right? You know, biblical times, a king was just really just a local warlord. You know, really, he's just like the guy over Sodom, the guy over Gomorrah, the guy over Zeruboam, the, the king of, the, the, this, these are like local, feudal, like there's only one country in the world today that doesn't have a, a government. You know what that is? Somalia. It's controlled by and large this way, by feudal, by, by warlords, you know. So basically, I'm going to do what I want to do. I make my own rules. I make my own laws, and I'm going to do whatever I want to do. So if I want more money, more power, more women, more dope, more whatever I want, I just got to raise a bigger army some kind of way. How do I do that? I don't know. You know, whatever, right? So but these old boys right here are going to fight, all these joined together in the Valley of Siddam. That's a Salt Sea. Twelve years they served Chedorlaomer, and the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Chedorlaomer and the kings that were with them came and attacked these people.
3: <laughs> you got closer on that pronunciation.
1: <laughs> and the Horites and their mountain. and And so they go through this scenario, right? Then I want you to see what happens. Now... And the valley of Sidon was full of asphalt pits. The king of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Some fell there, and remainder fled to the mountains. They took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah, provisions, and went there lay. They also took Lot, Abraham's brother, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods, and departed. So after Abraham's, uh, I don't know, Abraham and Lot strife between their herdsmen. You know, Lot Abraham goes to Lot and he's like, Lot, listen, I mean, we're, we're we're brothers. We just this is gonna cause a problem. Like this this will eventually cause a problem. And and really at this point you can see that like their kind of wealth and family lives have taken on a life of their own. So it's not like they eating together every night. You know, you don't get to see this picture. Like like all right, Lot, come on, we kill one of your cows tonight. Tomorrow we we'll kill one of my sheep. You know. Absolutely. So Lot goes, so the, Abraham says, look, you just pick pick which one you want. And he looks, and the Bible says that Lot pitches his tent towards Sodom. So Lot chooses the well-watered plains of Sodom. From a purely financial standpoint, that was a good decision, right? But, I mean, we know what Sodom and Gomorrah are, are synonymous with, right? Sodom and Gomorrah are synonymous with, I mean, it's where we get our modern... Older laws of sodomy laws come from the city of Sodom. Well, so what we have here is Abraham, Lot, has been taken in this kind of fight, fight battle, right? So what I want to see is that you can fight and you can make war and you can make a mess, right? These old boys right here are just fighting more and making a mess. But there's something unique that Abraham does, so we can use the same word, Army, and we can mean two different things with it. Right? I can mean Army. Like, like Army really, to me, in my mind, is the guys that are logistics. You, you get what I'm saying? Like they're the guys that are going to be like the Marines. What, what is the difference between the Marine Corps and the Army?
3: Um, well, the Army has the uh, largest uh, Marine landing ever. Which actually we just celebrated yesterday. Yesterday, right? Yeah, and the Marines don't. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, so no, without I, I, getting I surely, into a turf war. Surely,
3: I, yeah, without getting into a turf war. I mean, truth be told, like the, the the Marine Corps has a very specific purpose. They also have the Navy,
1: right? I mean, right. I worked for the Navy for 20 years. And, you know, the, our job was to make sure that they could get sailors and ships and supplies and, and, and they could do all these technical, you know, Things, espionage, all this stuff they had to do, right? So each branch had its own purpose, right? It, it has a specific purpose that it was doing. So in, in this day, the purpose could, the purpose was by and large to just bowl, baby. I just want to bowl and get bigger, right? So yeah, that's the absolutely. purpose of these guys. Like we're going to fight my kingdom, really, just my city, my little compound that I've got. I want to, I want to make sure that. That if even if I have somebody that's kind of over me, I've served them in, in this kind of um, you know, paradigm of I pay homage, you know, I pay my tithe, as it were, to you. So, but that is a greedy, self-motivated type thing, right? Sure.
2: Yeah.
1: So, Aaron, you going into the you go in and you're going in, you're going to, you are both of y'all, both of y'all did the GI Bill, right? So like you, you've been dipping into the GI Bill, right? Um, because I'm
3: active duty, I'm still using my tuition assistance to pay for schooling. Okay.
1: Yeah. so But but both of y'all are using the Army to help pay for your education, yeah. Y- yeah, right? right? Yeah, that's right. So so you went in for – that's one reason you went in, right? So you're using that part of it, right? You cited that you wanted to – you saw the mess, right, yes, that I was did. created in the wake of 9-11, Right. We've almost forgotten that one. I mean,
3: well, yeah, that's, I mean, right right there before the close of the Afghan war. The Afghan war was so old, it, I mean, it could have legally purchased an alcoholic beverage. Yeah, just think about so, that. I mean, that's it's very difficult for people, especially in today's day and age, and with how quickly we change topics to... Yeah, when there's a to new to crisis like, always. Yeah, to to stay focused on the, the longevity and the severity of why we started.
1: Yeah, and so here's what happens, is Abraham, verse 12, because Lot has chosen this kind of area that he ends. He ends up in a mess, right? So that's a sermon for another day, right? Okay. Lot picking his bad, Lot picking the spot that he shouldn't have picked. Mm-hmm.
2: Right.
1: They also took Lot, verse 12, Abraham's, Lot, Abraham's brother's son, so it's his nephew, who dwelt in Solomon's goods and departed. Then one who had escaped came and told Abraham, the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the terebinth tree of Mamre, the Amorite brother of Eshkel, the brother of Aner, they were allies with Abram. When Abram heard this, that his brother had taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his house, and went as pursuit as far as Dan. He divided forces against them by night. He and his servants attacked them, pursued them as far as Hoba, which is in the north Damascus. He brought back all the goods. He brought back his brother Lot, his goods as well as the women and the people. So, what do you see happening here? In this scenario,
3: I mean what I mean what I'm what I'm seeing is, is um, essentially conquest.
1: Yeah, but but how did he do it? Like he took three hundred. What, what's interesting is sometimes the Bible will say things like about three thousand souls were saved in Acts two forty one. Right. So we don't know if that's twenty nine hundred eighteen or if it's three thousand one hundred and you know forty two. Right. Yeah. But. Abraham took 318, it to gets specific, so you know when you get into details, you're getting minutia, right? Abraham took 318 trained, what do you think he trained them to do? Fight. To but, fight, yeah. right? So these are, these, are, these are trained soldiers of the day. They ain't going to use you know, modern military sniper tactics, right? But what they did do was, look what they did, you can see they're trained, he divided his forces against him by night. Yeah. So what does that mean he's trying to do? He's employing military tactics, right? What is his motive behind this, though? It's
2: a rescue mission, really. It's a
1: rescue mission, right? So so let's take a break, and then we're going to come back from our break, and then I want to talk about your perspective as a Christian. Like, like, what does that mean for me? Because you can become a, a service member for all the wrong reasons, yep. and you can have all the wrong motives behind doing anything, but let's talk about the Christian perspective on being a serviceman when we come back. All right?
0: Life in general is about decisions. Every decision that you make has consequences, and you're tethered to every single one of them. Jesus gives us this awesome opportunity that you don't have to make all the decisions in your life all on your own. You see, he invites you to come to him, to learn from him. Jesus gives us this perfect example, and he tells us in Matthew chapter 11, He says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm meek and gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. We have so much to learn from, from Christ, and he gives us this example of saying, If you really want to learn from me, take my yoke. You see, yokes were used in the, back in Bible times to, to, to put two animals together to pull a load or to pull a cart or to plow ground. And you would put a, an ox together or you would put two mules together, and they would pull the load together. And that's what Christ offers for us, is He's offering to pull the load for us. Christ invites us to, to come to Him, and we're to be His followers, disciples, learners, people who have yoked in with Him, and He builds a community around us called the church. The church is to be made up of people, people who God have looked at their hearts. You see, the world wants to paint a picture of everything that would divide us. The church has painted a picture of the things that unite us. That Christ, He builds this community that when we've yoked in with with other people they may be different from us but we can learn from each other what a beautiful thing that it is when we can have difficult conversations there's there's no conversation that the church can't have and that's what Christ wants from us is he wants community that's strong that's yoked in together that learns from each other and most importantly that learns from Jesus and he invites us to come Take, learn, and find. So, before our break, we were talking about how uh, Abraham
1: raises this army, and it's really maybe that's a bad word. He he then he employs he deploys. I reckon is the better word. These guys that were specifically trained to do this task, right? So would it be a safe assumption to say that you could be trained in the same tactics as a killer or somebody that, that, that go, I mean, we all heard the stories in Vietnam with the necklaces of ears and all the crazy stuff. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, those guys are always, you're always gonna have crazy people. Right. Right. And that's why, you know, there's this thing that happened in Texas or, or any other shooting. They're never, these aren't like, these are normal people doing this. Right. Right. So your motives in in going in as a serviceman, right? What what would you tell people from a Christian perspective that they need to understand about going into the military today? About what what is it, some things that they need to understand? I mean, the military's changing, right?
3: Yep, absolutely.
1: In in what ways? What do you see the the, the service changing? I mean,
2: one way that I see it as a I'll say newer service member. By much by comparison is there's a lot less of the general force going on deployments, doing all these missions like we were doing ten, fifteen years ago.
1: Well that's just because of conflict. Well, right. Like right. there's
2: a decrease in conflict, but also I, I also see like a decrease in the size of the force itself.
1: What do you mean by that? Explain that.
2: In certain political climates, I'll keep it this simple. In certain political climates, the people in charge tend to have a less in budget and they want less personnel overall throughout the military.
1: So politics.
2: Yes, politics, plays you know, I don't want to get into that.
1: politics, no blue, red stuff, but right. but politics, whether whichever side of the coin you're on with it, politics are a significant part. So what is politics motivated by guys? Greed, right? Right. I mean like like politics will get you tw- they will politicians' job is basically to get you twisted up about something so that they can vote. I mean, Congress constantly has had like a 30% approval rate. There's, Jesus could use politicians, tax collectors, because there's never been a time in history where people were like, you know, those politicians are pretty good guys. So Jesus can use these guys as like the bottom of the heap Type guys, or or even hey, everything's going
3: great. Uh, you should give us some money. Yeah, that's since right. Everything, since everything's going so swell, yeah, I, mean, I think
2: I'm going to give myself a raise.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. So you, hey, there's he can use these immutable things that are going to be understood by everybody everywhere about politicians, right? So so there's a lot of politics that govern this, right? So right. so there's a reduction in force, is that you're saying, right? And that's because budgetary, you know, like I've seen. Like, I've been a part of, of making the budget, right? Right. And in the 50s, the late 40s, you know, like World War II era, you know, like 50-some percent of the United States budget, the federal government's budget, was for defense. Yeah. Now it's like 50% are entitlement programs. So we've, we've completely flipped the script on this. So now let's talk about it from a little bit different perspective. Do you think there's guys have you ever met guy I mean, you've been in there long enough to see a lot of folks, right?
3: Yeah, I've met some characters.
1: <laughs> Mike, you're just like a word craftsman. Oh. You know? Like like you I've I've read these papers that you wrote and everything like that and, and you, you whack so poetically with them. Oh thank you. And and so <laughs> even that's funny. The um why well tell me what you mean by you've met some characters. Qualify that statement.
3: So it's interesting because um Service members are looked at in a monolithic fashion. I had this conversation with somebody just the other day in that um, much like the world view for police officers, is it's kind of taken a negative connotation in, in light of recent events. Um, the world view for service members is generally positive. I mean, you consider the fact that... The
1: worldview in the sense of like the way that...
3: The way that the America views its service members um, is generally positive. I mean, they're even referred to as service members, i.e. service. Right.
1: So, And that's a word picture. Exactly.
3: And so oftentimes what people uh, mm-hmm. overlook is the, the fact that, you know, Marines and, and seamen are all, they're all people. And people by their nature are imperfect and they're completely fallible. You know, so um, that's one of the things that we we. Uh, I've met some people in the military who were they were phenomenal soldiers, and I've met some people in the military that they left some things to be desired, and eventually they left service for better or worse.
1: So, have have you ever seen? <clears throat> so let, let, let's ask this from a perspective: somebody that's a family man, sure. right? You're you're getting there, right? You're you're y'all. You and Rebecca been married how long? Almost two years now. Almost two years. You know that under the law, actually, under the Mosaic Law, I understand we serve under the new law now, but under the Mosaic Law, you weren't allowed to go to war for a year after you when you were uh, newly wed. Really? Yeah, that was that was I remember I remember my boss and we were just like pounding work, man. I mean like we were up to our eyeballs. And I found this I was reading my Bible and I found this and he was a real religious guy and so I was like, Hey, just want you to see that I'm supposed to get a year off. He's like, "That's old law, son." Oh wow he <laughs> he was ready to go. Yeah, like,
3: the second tried. the second you try to shoehorn that in, he's yeah. like, "No, no, no, no." Yeah, so, I also have read that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, so so you know, can the military be? Can service in the military be a serious detriment to families?
3: It can. It puts a stra- it, it is not designed to be. Um, and this has changed in more recent years. So let me just go ahead and caveat that, but. Um, it is not designed for people to go about their uh, agenda first. The you priority, mean, the priority is the mission, and and so the army. When recent, you say their agenda,
1: you mean like the family, family agenda, to,
3: right? The family agenda, right? Because I mean, there's always things going on with mom and the kids, right? For or or you know, somebody's in and out, in and out of the hospital, or you know, we've got schooling, and and there's just there's things that happen in an everyday function in the in the family. And to some degree, a lot of that ends up being put on, you know, the wife. And and that gets talked about quite a bit in the military. The
1: non-service member, however it yes. is.
3: Or, or the husband, yes, if uh, if we have a, a female service member. So um, whoever is not currently serving, uh, which is, you know, even more difficult when you're in my position where there's dual military and you have both both family members or service members, we're basically playing tag,
0: right. you know,
3: figuring out how we're going to get everything done. Um. No, it's not it's not easy, you know. And then the, you look at deployments and then times where your children will be away from you. I mean, I've been gone for up to a year. I've been gone as as little as 6 months and in that time, things things change. You even have to come back together and and learn how to live with one another. So, and or, So it's going
1: to be, it's going to be a real challenge then if you don't have a strong marriage. Absolutely. So so in other words, what you're saying then is that for example, Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for. Yes. That's a different scenario for every family dynamic, right? I mean, so like the way that Jessica and I put that into practice, right? The way that I practice that towards Jessica or you towards Rebecca or you towards Sam Mm -hmm. is different, right? But the command is still there, right? So you still have to muddle it out with Sam, right? Like, how then do I die for Sam, right? Or, or how do I die for Rebecca? You know, what is it going to look like for our family dynamic? But I bet you've seen a lot of families that have suffered because of service.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And, that's, and that was something that, especially like in Hawaii, for instance. When we were in Hawaii, there was a large threat of coming into conflict with North Korea, um,
1: just because y'all were forward patrol, you mean, we, I
3: mean, we're right there on the edge of the Pacific, if mm-hmm. the first people to go out the door for that. Um, and so because of that, we are the only way to stay ready is to stay constantly training. And oftentimes you would have commanders who would, um, they would see an open space on the calendar and they're like, well, we got to put something in there. We got to, we got to train the boys, you know, and the girls, uh, we got to train, we got to get out there and do something. Cause if we're not doing anything, then essentially we're planning to fail. And so oftentimes that would come at the, at the detriment of the sacrifice of the family unit. And, and I myself found myself gone more often than not. And then when I got home, um, you know, I'm so busy trying to sleep or, or recuperate. I mean, my, wa- my wife would often say, like, I would spend a third of my free time just packing for the next thing. Mm. It was very common.
1: Yeah, and so, so there are some serious challenges to a family life, Right. And, and, you know, like, that's really true in any field that requires a lot of time. Doctors, servicemen, you know, there's a few vocational trades that get listed year in and year out. Machinist is one of them, by the way, that requires so much time. But, and, and one of the reasons why there's so few left. Right. So, so much stuff that needs to be fixed piece by piece that requires so much time. And you realize that, that you can trade your time for huge sums of money. And so yep. that's a very addictive thing, right? So let, let's let's shift gears a little bit. What about from the perspective of if you were to de- – let's just say that things go sideways with the Ukraine, right? Okay. And you're deployed, and you, you guys go to – let's just say that you end up in Kiev, right? I think the Ukrainians call it Kiev, right? The Russians call it Kiev or Ukrainians call it Kiev. But yeah,
3: it's an American tradition to pronounce everything incorrectly on purpose. <laughs> right. That's <laughs> right.
1: Hey, there's a, you know, if you speak two languages, you know what you are? Bilingual. If you speak three, you know what you are? I bet you can figure it out if you just think English a minute. Trilingual. <laughs> there you go. If you speak four languages, guess what you are? Quadlingual. If you speak one, guess what you are? An American. I mean I thought, I wondered
3: if that's where we were going with this. I wasn't sure. Yeah,
1: yeah. So so the the fact of the matter is is that let's just say things go sideways, you end up back in a sniper's nest, right? And you end up in some capacity of a medic unit. How how would you, Mike, now look at that versus five years ago? When was your last deployment to Afghanistan? Fourteen? Two thousand fourteen, yeah. So that's what, eight years ago? Yeah, then? it's been it's been a piece. Yeah, so eight years ago, your deployment in Afghanistan and the um, looking back, would you do the same things you did when you were in Afghanistan with regards to I know that your social life, your things that you did to keep yourself occupied, you're gonna those habits naturally have to change as a Christian. Yes. But as regards to military order, Mike, here's a picture of this dude. I need you to draw a bead on him and peel his noggin off his shoulders. Would you have a problem with that? No. Why is that?
3: Um, when you are engaged in warfare, every single combatant has the capacity to do either you or somebody else harm. And so essentially by me doing nothing – um, or, or, you know, maybe, maybe I, I draw a beat on this guy. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. I do everything and I feign as if I am doing what I am supposed to do, but I choose not to shoot him. Okay. And then that, that man goes on later to, you know, drop a briefcase and, uh, blow up a city center or, or maybe he just pulls a cord as a, uh, a vehicle's rolling by and, and kills an entire squad inside of an armored vehicle. Um, these things have happened all the time and, um, the reality is, is by me acting to do nothing, I've, I can fail to protect my brothers and my sisters.
1: There is a really unique thing that, that happens with Moses and Aaron. And I, I want to look at something in Luke 14, but, but while we're turning there, I, I, so Moses and Aaron, the second time God is going to bring water from the rock, the first time God says, strike the rock, let the water come out. So Moses bonked the rock, here we come, we roll out, right? The second time, they come to Moses, they're complaining and fussing and whining, and Moses goes over and he strikes the rock again. God told Moses in this scenario, Moses, speak to the rock, right? Speak to the rock, Moses. Well, Moses in his kind of little pitching a fit. By the way, Moses wrote the story of him being a knucklehead. That's another way that you can prove inspiration. Like, nobody tells the story Uh, Writing their own story, and like, this is the reason God killed me because I was so (laughs) stupid right here. And this one little event, right? So, this one event, God says, because Moses gets up and he says, How long are we going to have to put up with you rebellious people? He he essentially just kind of like makes himself this center point, right? It's really God. And so, God says, That's it. Moses, you're not going into the promised land. As a matter of fact, get Aaron, your brother, get Aaron, carry him up on the mountain. They execute Aaron publicly. They take his like, priest robe off of him, and they go up there and they execute him publicly. And, and Aaron didn't say anything. So Aaron is charged, as it were, with the sin of omission. The sin of omission. So you think about this. If somebody—we talked about self-defense last week. If somebody breaks in my house, and, and we hear the series of break-ins that have happened, and three people have been killed in, in, in this area, Right? Somebody breaks in my house and this guy fits my description and I choose to terminate life with this guy. I can look at that as me being this cool hothead, right? Like I know dudes that would love nothing more than to get in a gunfight. You know what I'm saying? Like they train all the time and they they carry their like three magazines and their gun and this and that and the other and you know, all I mean all the time and they're just waiting for a gunfight because they just want to fight. Now, this guy comes in my house and I decide I'm going to terminate life, right? He comes in my house, there's a threat, boom, he's dead. The way I see it, I'm taking care of my neighborhood too. I'm not just taking care of my family. And so in, in Luke 14, there's this really kind of unique scenario. Jesus talks about, and there's an Easter egg here. So we get to see things so in the parable of Matthew 25 of how Jesus, the parable of the talents, you know the, 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 they were supposed to double, you know the kind of produce from what God gave them, right? You know, you've got this money, we expect a return on it, right? The, the single talent man, he goes and hides it in the ground. And when the master comes back and says, you wicked and lazy servant, I gave you this talent and you just wasted it. He says, here's an Easter egg. He says, could you not have just given it to the bank? And let it draw interest. I mean, at least you'd have gained interest on it. Just just make a good financial decision with it. So we get to see kind of with this, the Lord uses this the idea of like, there's a lot of ways that you can make money. You know, one of them is investing, right? So the the Lord uses these things that are we understand are good and, and wise practice. And look what he does here. In Luke 14, and he's talking about leaving all to follow him. Or what king, verse 31, or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first to consider whether he is able to come up with 10,000 to meet the one against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So, so, what you get to see is Jesus, that there is a way. Now, he didn't get into like logistics here of what these guys. But Jesus is using this kind of thing, and you get to see authorization from it. Here's another one. Turn just a couple chapters back to Luke chapter 3. I think it's in Luke 3. Luke 3, Luke Uh 3. Luke 3, verse 10. So when the people ask him, say, what shall we do then? He said to who has two tunics, let him who give to him who has none. He who has food, let him do likewise. You guys that got more than you really need, if you really want to make a difference, help somebody out, right? And then he goes on. He says, then tax collectors who came to him to be baptized and said, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than what is appointed for you. You know, tax collectors, they go around and their job, they made their money by kind of pinching a little bit, right? And that, that that was... That was legal. But there was a margin of what's legal. It's not like, dude, you're in it for 80%. You know, that wasn't that was that was when you overstepped your bounds, right? So that's why tax collectors were hated. You know, hated. So verse 14, likewise to the what? Who's he talking to? Soldiers. Yep. Ask him saying, What shall we do? And he said, quit the army. Is that what he said right there? No. Nope. What's he say?
3: Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations, and be content with your wages.
1: Yeah, don't intimidate anyone or accuse falsely, and be content with your wages. So there are some people, there are some soldiers. It's going to be a real challenge for your ego. There's some soldiers going to be a real challenge for violence. I mean, like I've known dudes, man, that I even hated playing football with them when we were kids. Like they just, they just played too rough. You know what I mean? You remember those guys that you're like, man, Jason's playing. And he's gonna to want to hit me real hard, you know, and like, and it wasn't like it. Wasn't like, I'm okay with getting hit hard, but like, it was like he got a, you know, like an ad- adrenaline rush, like he just craved violence, right? Well, if you crave violence, the army is not the place for you, because it's gonna it's going to feed your your that side of you, and that's the side that as a Christian you cannot feed anymore, because you can't you can't be about intimidation, right? Now, there's a time and place. Where your shadow's got to get bigger than somebody else's. And there's a need for it then. Amen? Yeah. But, yeah. But, but, your, but your motives then are not because you need to listen to me. But I'm doing what's better for the sum of the whole, right? Right. So if you went back to war, now, Aaron, from your perspective, if you were sent in as a medic, right, is that what you think you'd be deployed as if you were deployed today? Um.
2: When I get to where I'm going, I'll say that way. I can't deploy until I graduate right now, um, but I'll be a, like a nurse as a commission officer, and I'd be in charge of like a hospital wing, or maybe I might be attached with a doctor to like a ranger unit or something as like a forward operating medical team.
1: That's a whole lot of words to say what?
2: To say I would be a nurse stitching people
1: up. Right. So if you were set in that situation – what What might change about you Would it be hard if you're looking in the face of an enemy
2: yeah i was uh I was once told by one of my instructors at school that if uh, I ever have to pick up a rifle, then we already lost, and there's no point i was to- I was told that on the ra- when I had to go to the range because he <laughs> knew I was going to be a nurse, but yeah, it'd be very difficult because stuff like that
1: happens. Yeah, I mean, like, like, how hard would it be, as a Christian, to know, like, they kick the doors open, right, boom, the doors fly open, and here's some dude that you know that just ignited the bag of BBs on his chest, right? The the rusty nails, you know, the pieces of glass, and and for whatever reason, the the percussion blast carried it outward, and it didn't really, I mean, he got him, but it didn't get him get him, you know, and there's nine servicemen that are dead over here, I mean, like, what was it, a week ago today or two days ago was Memorial Day when all our buddies were putting their pictures of the guys. I'm assuming that's who you had on your wall, right, dudes that didn't come home, like the, on
3: Facebook. The guys that I had on my wall were guys that came home, but even when you come home, people still struggle with their demons. Oh, baby. Yeah, and then, and these are exactly the kind of things that, uh, you know, walking in the light and talking about, having conversations about, um, our relationship with God could mm-hmm. very well have helped them from, you know, making that final decision to terminate life. Mm. Yeah. Cause it was
1: their own, right?
3: It was their own. It's heavy, you know, mm-hmm. cause some of these guys were like, I mean, uh, one of them was my mentor mm-hmm. and he was hard, man. Very, very hard, tough as leather. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, um, you know, it gets to the point where I'm sure you could probably tell me as a machinist, there's probably some things that, sure, they're real hard, but that also means when dropped from a certain height, they they fracture really easily. Yeah. You know, because there's there's just not enough durability there, and and or the ability to be resilient and ask, hey, Chris, I'm struggling and I need your help.
1: Yeah, and it's it's because especially for dudes, man, pride, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, to the you know, you're the soldier with X amount of kills and this combat story, and all of a sudden it's like I'm scared to be alone.
3: Or I mean, that was that was my friend Andy. My friend Andy was a guy who prided himself on being a ranger, and then he leaves military service, and and he he is no longer. That's not how people see him anymore. Now he's now he's uh, you a you know mechanic Andy a, that works at Conica Minolta or something right, like that. You know,
1: right? He's just a factory worker then. You know, just a clock puncher, something right? like that. It's tough, right? Yeah. So, you know, do you think it would be hard, Aaron?
2: Yeah, but with, uh, I'll say, the kind of instincts I have as like a, would have as like a medical professional, I think it would kick in because, you know, if that that happened, you know, I might have 20 other people behind me laying in beds with, you know, whatever type of injury, shrapnel, you know, that had just come off the line that I now have to protect because I'm the only one that is able-bodied.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And it then becomes I have to protect my brothers that are already wounded. It's still a rescue. Still a rescue.
1: So let's stitch this up, guys, and let's just talk a minute. What would you tell somebody, Aaron, from a perspective of a Christian today that wanted to? What would you warn somebody about, and what would you tell them is a great thing about serving as a Christian?
2: I I mean, I would warn them based on my own personal experience that it might be. An initial struggle to wrestle with the idea of taking somebody else's life if they don't already understand that aspect.
1: I, I'm not going to tell anybody that they're wrong that has that idea, right? I'm just not going to. If somebody's a conscientious objector or whatever, like that's that's fine. I mean, like you do you, you know? I, I don't think the Bible teaches that, and we talked about that last week. And but you know, what would you tell them that is a joy from being a Christian?
2: Something for me that's a joy is just the ability to serve and serve others and know that i'm not only serving the people that are standing next to me in line but also serving everyone else back home
1: what about the crisis right so like there's the the pandemic that has ran from time immortal is sin right so now you're in the barracks with all these guys you have ready-made scenario to teach somebody the gospel right
2: right i actually my Best personal experience with that when i was going through basic training i actually had a guy who slept two bunks over who was a devil worshipper and i was able to just just by simply talking to him and loving on him i was able to get him to study with me and i didn't i wasn't able to full, baptize him so you didn't him. like
1: soap in a sock him for being a devil worshipper
2: no <laughs> like i was actually i was jacket. actually one of the only people that would talk to him cuz everybody was like oh man this guy over here he's a devil worshipper Right. But is it, is it I crazy? went right up to him and I was like, "Why do you believe what you believe?" And he told me his story, and I actually start told him my testimony of conversion, and we actually, other than the paths we chose, we kind of had similar stories of how we ended up where we were.
1: So, Mike, tell me what or tell.
2: So the,
3: I tell you right now, um, the temptation. In the military, is it's just like it is when you're going about your day. The world is still in the military. Right. I mean, the the reality is is that there's just a lot of people that come from a lot of walks of white, uh, a lot of walks of life, and they're they're life. I know, um, and and so. By that, you know, Aaron. What Aaron just described is that you've got people coming with their own experience and their own baggage and their own beliefs, and and so you do have to be careful that take, getting taken in with your unit and the guys, the guys and girls that you're working with, that you don't fall into those those same things. You know, whether that be going and having uh, alcoholic beverages after hours, or or you know. Just going go, to the club. Yeah, going to exactly, going out to the club, behavior that is just it's it's not conducive with being a good servant of God. And then the blessing though is that and just like Aaron said is that you're going to you're going to meet a lot of people. And 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 maybe you're not um, you know, evangelizing every single person that you come across, but you're getting the opportunity to be a good steward of Christianity and show them that as Christians that we're treating people with respect and that they're not hearing us, you know, talking uh, foul mouth languages, but that we're we're diligent, we're trying to do our job, we're we're working hard, we're here to help others, right? And so, and by them seeing those those traits, they're like, man, I want to be want to be near that guy. I you validate be... Christianity, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly, and that's an opportunity that you have with a lot of different people that you're gonna. I mean, I've like you heard me at the beginning. I said I went from Tennessee to Fort Bragg, Italy, uh, Hawaii. I mean, I can't tell you how many hundreds of thousands of people that I've probably come across, shake hands with, had a small conversation with, and the majority of them, you know, I didn't do that as a Christian. And I think about what kind of impact I could have had with that with a, a change of mindset.
1: Amen. Hey, I appreciate you guys coming and thanks so much for your time. Hit that button down there for me, Mike. Now hit yeah. it and make sure you hold it. I'm gonna hit it. I got one job, y'all. <laughs> Press it the right way.
0: This is the unscripted podcast.